0: Let us pray. Lord, we do just come this morning, and we just pray that everything we do, from the songs that we sing to the word being preached to how we interact with each other uh, before and after the service, that it will be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. God, we desire and long to honor you, glorify you, and just lift up the name of Jesus. And so we do just pray for that. And God, as we sang in the song before, uh, God, we look forward to the day when we will see that it's all been worth it. God, there's so many times in life that people aren't for Christianity, that following Jesus, it's hard. It is hard work to follow you, Jesus, but it is so good. And I just pray that we will see and walk in that goodness, that you'll give us a glimpse of why it's worth it to follow Jesus in the here and now. And God, one day you're going to wipe away every tear. One day you're going to make all things right. And it's something that we long for and look forward to. And we just say thank you. Thank you for being a God worth following. Thank you for being a God worth sacrificing for. God, you sacrifice so much for us and so it is an honor uh, to give you our lives back in return. Not that we can ever earn salvation, but God, that we can express our love for you and every single thing and every single thing that we say and do And God, right now, as we turn to the word, as we turn to the scriptures, I pray that you will use my words to lift up you, hide me behind the cross, and may people see your goodness and your message today. Uh, God, we all want to hear from you, learn something new about you, and God, we want to be a transformed people. God, I pray that all of us, myself included, can walk away changed in some way, shape, or form today. Uh, God, the world desperately needs your love and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, and so I just pray that we will be transformed by your spirit to offer that to the world today, to offer your love, to offer your forgiveness, to offer your mercy. And so do that work in us through your spirit this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, so good to see you. Uh, And thanks to James for letting me fill in while he's going to Rock Hill, he's on the way now. uh, And so just thankful to be able to share. Have you ever been nervous to meet someone before? Anyone ever been nervous to meet someone before? Like whether when you're younger, you're a kid, you're nervous to meet your teacher for the first time, uh, a principal, um, maybe that guy or girl you have a crush on, you actually talk to them for the first time, pretty nerve wracking when that happens, right, to actually do that. Maybe you're going in for an interview uh, and to meet the potential boss for the first time can pretty, be pretty nerve-wracking to meet people. Uh, I think that when I first met Christine, I was pretty nervous to meet her. Uh, so we talked on the phone for a couple months before we met in person. And so kind of her best friends and my best friends set us up. They got married and set us up. And so we talked for a couple months on the phone. And so it was nerve-wracking to meet her for the first time, driving from Clemson, where I lived at the time, to Charleston to go on our first date and stuff like that. It was pretty nerve-wracking. Uh, the nerves, but... Because it was so natural talking to her, it wasn't the most nerve wracking thing in the world uh, because we just meshed so well together and stuff like that. The nerves came after the fact. And so our first day, our first official date was the weekend before Thanksgiving. And so the weekend before Thanksgiving we go on a date, it's great, we have fantastic I'm like immediately like I want to see her again. So I weasel my way into getting her to invite me back for Thanksgiving a couple days later and so she invites me back for Thanksgiving uh, and then she, she says after the fact, like you know this is years later when we're married she's like it dawned on her, it's like oh no I invited this boy to Thanksgiving really fast. And I'd like to think, I was 25 at the time, that you didn't invite a boy to Thanksgiving but you invited a man to Thanksgiving Right? We let it slide. Uh, And so, but we go back, we go back four days later. And that's when the real nerves began, because I wasn't just meeting her, but I'm meeting her family, right? Particularly her dad, which her dad is amazing. I have an awesome father-in-law and stuff like that. But always meeting the father is, is nerve-wracking. It's, it makes you nervous. And so I remember asking, what do I need to know about your dad? Like, what do I need to know about him? Who is he? What are the do's? What are the don'ts? When it comes to interacting with him, how can I make sure I don't make myself look like a fool when I come and meet him for the first time? And so I just asked some of those basic questions. And that's kind of the attitude that we really need to have as Christians. Like when it comes to meeting God, we need to ask some questions. Who is God? What does he value? What does he not value? What are some of the do's? What are some of the don'ts when it comes to meeting God? These are things that we need to take time to make sure we're asking so we don't find ourselves in a situation where we make ourselves look foolish before God. And so kind of the title of the sermon this morning is Listening to God allows you to approach God. And so we want to do some digging as we get to know him so that we can um, be in right standing with him when we do come before him, because we don't want to make ourselves, like when you meet anyone, you don't want to make yourself like a fool when you interact with them. Same thing is true with God. And so Let's just read. I'm going to read a verse. We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. We're just going to kind of take it one verse at a time throughout the sermon. And so I'm going to read a verse, then we'll talk about it. Read another verse, we'll talk about it. So Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 1 says Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they are wrong. And so point number one this morning is ignorance is not an excuse. So there's these people who come before God, they make these sacrifices, make these offerings, and they don't know what they're doing. What they're doing is wrong. And so I do want to say, when we talk about point number one, this is primarily for people who are already Christians and have been following him for a while. Because the truth of the matter is, if you're not a believer or you're new a believer, God is understanding. And so we come to him and so, the only way we're going to be able to be holy or righteous or anything like that isn't by trying to get our act together on our own and then, like, okay, I got everything perfect. Now I come to God. The reverse is true. If you want to have your life made right, you go to God first, and He is the one through His Holy Spirit that can make you right. But the longer we are Christians, then ignorance no longer is an excuse. We can't say, well, I didn't know. Like, if, you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years now ish, something like that. You're a Christian long enough that you can't say, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that mattered to God. I didn't know that was a big deal. Like, you begin to lose your excuse the longer you are in this situation. So I think about it like this. Uh, I was, the first time I ever got pulled over and got a speeding ticket, I was 19 years old, freshman in college. I was helping at a youth group as one of the adult helpers and stuff like that. And uh, I was going to Southern Wesleyan University in central South Carolina and the church was in Liberty. So you'd have to drive through Norris. If anyone knows where Norris is, I got pulled over two of the three times I've got pulled over were in Norris, South Carolina. So I'm not a huge fan of Norris. Um, but the first time, and so I'm driving back, it's probably 9.30, we had a movie night or something like that, I'm driving back. And I don't remember why, but I was driving my uncle's truck. And so I'm driving my uncle's truck home, and all of a sudden I'm driving on this road I've driven on 50, 60 times before, and I see blue lights in the rearview mirror, and I'm like... I wonder if my uncle's truck has a light out. Because I was paying attention. I was going 46 miles an hour. And I was like, speed limit's 45. I'm going 46. Surely I'm not getting pulled over for going one mile over the speed limit, right? Surely this is happening. And so I get pulled over. I pull off the side of the road. Police officer comes. He says, do you know why I pulled you over? I was like, "I, I don't. Like, I really don't know why you pulled me over, officer. And he's like, do you know how fast you're going? I was like, I was going 46 miles an hour. He was like, yep, you're going 46 miles an hour. And I was like, So why am I pulled over? Like, I don't understand. He's like, do you know what the speed limit was? I was like, it's 45 miles an hour. And he was like, it's not 45 miles an hour. It's 35 miles an hour. It changed to 35 miles an hour over a mile ago. And so I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) And then it begins to make sense. And so, and I said, I thought it was 45. I thought the speed limit was 45. I accidentally went 46. And do you think he bought my argument that I was ignorant and this, oh, it's fine. You were just wrong. You can go on your way. Do you think that's how it went? Absolutely not, right? And so I got the speeding ticket because I was going 11 miles and over. That's a totally valid reason to get a speeding ticket. And so ignorance was not an excuse to not get the speeding ticket. And again, it's not like that was the first time I had gone up and down that road. I had driven up and down that road 50, 60 times before, and apparently I just didn't pay attention to the speed limit. And so that's how it is when it comes to God. The more we interact with God, the more we get to know him, the less excuse we have. We have to pay attention to what we're doing. The speed limit was posted on the road, and I ignored it, right? And so when it comes to knowing God, especially once we're in a committed relationship with him, uh, we can't begin to claim ignorance on things the longer and longer we are in that relationship with him. We have to take time and pause and ask about what God values, what is important and not important to God, right? And so there's all these things that begins to be a lot more important than we do that. So I do want to talk about one of the passages of Scripture that probably confused me, concerned me, didn't make sense to me at all the first handful of times that I read it. Uh, Because who's, let's be honest, who's ever read a passage of Scripture and you're like, that's pretty crazy, right? I don't understand. Who's ever read a passage of Scripture and be like, God, that seems a little extreme, right? We've all read those passages before, so today we're going to look at one of those passages that's like, I don't understand why God did what he did. I mean, now I kind of do, and I'll kind of hopefully enlighten you all. So it's 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. So at this point in time in Israel's history, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which was like the Holy of Holies, it housed the presence of God, uh, and so it was in this little town, and it was getting taken from this little town to Jerusalem. David had just uh, gone to Jerusalem, and that became the new capital of Israel. So it's making this journey from this town to Jerusalem, and while it's making this journey, uh, it was on this cart. When they came to the threshing floor at Nacon— Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. I've read that for years and years, and I'm like, honestly, this seems kind of extreme. Like, it looks like Uzzah's trying to be helpful. It says he does an irreverent act. But to me, I read it, it's like the ark is on this cart. The cart begins to tip. He's like reaching out, trying to make sure the ark doesn't fall. Seems like a good thing to me. Why did God strike him dead? Uh, And so I want to talk about this morning. Because we don't often ask questions to make sure we do something right. And when we don't, there are often consequences for that. Anyone ever put the wrong type of gas or oil in a vehicle or a tool and you ruined it before? Anyone ever done that? Yeah, right? Because we didn't pause to ask, what are we supposed to do in this situation? So we just do something and we end up destroying something in the process. That's kind of what's happening here. And so I want to read a passage from... um, Exodus, Exodus 25, because the truth of the matter is, God had already told the Israelites how they're supposed to transport the Ark of the Covenant. It wasn't a secret. Like, it wasn't like God's like, I'm going to keep the secret for them, then they're going to do it wrong, and I am going to strike them dead. And so in Exodus 25, and this is one of those boring passages, let's be honest, you're reading your one-year Bible plan, you get to Exodus, like the end of Exodus, and get to these like, kind of boring descriptions of stuff, and you kind of skim over it. Like I mean, I do that sometimes. And so this is a part we often skip over in Scripture, or at least skim over it. Exodus 25, 10 through 14. Have them make an ark, so the Ark of the Covenant, of acacia wood. Cast four gold rings from it and fasten them to its four feet. The two rings on one side, two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings and on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of the ark. They are not to be removed. And so when it came to moving the ark, were they supposed to move it on a cart cart is not involved in this scenario at all. They're supposed to have these poles that are supposed to carry, and they're carried on the poles. And also, I'm not going to put the verses, but there's four times in the Old Testament that says specifically the Levites and even a specific family in the Levites are supposed to carry the Ark of the Covenant. I know this is kind of like detail-oriented right now, uh, but this is why it's important to realize that Uzzah was not a Levite— they were not carrying it with poles, and so they're doing basically everything wrong in this scenario, right? And so they're not doing it how they're supposed to, who, who's supposed to be carrying it, isn't supposed to be carrying it. And so when God says they do this irreverent act, it's because they're ignoring what God had said. Now, a couple things to clarify that. The word of the Lord was supposed to be read every year. Every year they're supposed to be reading the book of the law. Like, they're supposed to read this. Do you know how long the ark had been at this particular family's house? Not a week not two weeks, 20 years. 20 years it was there. And so they had 20 years that they're supposed to be asking these questions. How do we carry this ark? How are we supposed to properly move it? And so for 20 years, they're supposed to be reading through the word of God and they didn't do it, right? And so either they ignored it because they were ignorant, or they ignored it because they chose not to listen. But either way, there were consequences for that. And so, once again, if it's one of those things that immediately in a certain situation, do I think God necessarily would have struck them dead? I don't know. Maybe he would have, maybe he wouldn't have. But these are people who had 20 years' warning of they should have figured out how to do this right. So, parents, how long of a time do your kids need to hear from you before they do it? Do they need five minutes? 10 minutes a week? Like, how how long do they need? How many times do you have to tell them? One, two, three, right? And so, do you think 20 years is enough time? Do you think that's enough warning for them? Okay, kids, flip it the other way. Do you think 20 years warning, like, if you get 20-year warning to clean your room, is that enough warning for you? I would say it probably is, right? I would assume that parents and kids might not agree on the time frame. The kid's probably like, I need, like, month. I need a month warning to clean my room, right? And the adults say, you need five minutes, right? We might not necessarily agree, but I think we can all agree 20 years is plenty of time to figure out how to do something right. And so we're not just talking about this sudden anger from the Lord, but it's something where he gave them four times, who's supposed to carry it? The Levites, and two times it's supposed to be carried on poles, and they're supposed to hear that. So that's Six times every year, they hear about how they're supposed to carry and treat and honor the Ark of the Covenant, and they totally ignore it, right? And so, this isn't this specific thing, but it's people who chose to be ignorant. They chose not to ask questions about God. They chose not to learn more about Him, but they chose to do things their way, how they want to. And so, it's these things that it might seem a little extreme, but they're things that matter to God, and we need to ask those questions, right? Because in our world today, Sometimes we're like, we think, eh, is it really that big of a deal to God if I gossip? Is, is that, that that big of a deal? Not really. We might think it's not to us, but to God it is. We might think um, when it comes to, like, is marriage between a man and a woman that big of a deal? Or like, you know, just marry who you like and stuff like that. Or maybe it is important to God. Dishonoring our parents, that's not really that big of a deal, Right? Lying, not, not big deal. And so to us, we think these things aren't that important. And we might not understand why God says to do something or why not to do something. But if it's a big deal to God, we need to figure that out and follow accordingly. Because Uzzah didn't think it was a big deal to learn how to carry the ark. And he didn't bother to ask questions or he ignored it and didn't do what it said. And although it might not seem like a big deal, was it at the end of the day a big deal for him? absolutely and so for us in our world today especially once we're established as believers again this is this point is specifically for established believers it's really important not to just say i'm saved i gave my life to the lord now i'm going to live my life however i want to no we have to continually go to god go to his word learn more about him hear from him so that we can approach him in an honor and reverent way right and so i'm not saying god's going to strike you dead but i am saying as christians especially we should take sin seriously because you know who thinks sin is a big deal? Jesus. How do we know that we think sin is a big how do we know that's a big deal to Jesus? Because what was Jesus willing to do for your sin to be forgiven? Die on the cross, right? He was willing to suffer and die for you and I so that our sin could be forgiven. And so if we just pretend like sin's not a big deal, that it's not really that big of a deal. We're basically like dismissing and dishonoring Jesus and his sacrifice by saying, I don't think it's a big deal, even though you had to die for it. And so we do need to take time and pause and ask questions uh, about understanding who God is, what's important to him, what's not important to him, and how do we live accordingly. Uh, And so I'm going to pick on Christine again. And so we have Daniel. He's eight months old, and uh, he's got his baby bottles and stuff like that. And for whatever reason, we have to wash our dishes separately than his bottles, I don't really understand. Something about adult germs and baby germs and they don't, we shouldn't mix and stuff like that. But to me, it makes sense just to throw all the bottles together with our dishes in our sink and clean it. And it's like, it would be super easy, super nice, super convenient. But that's like, no, 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 you can't do that. And so we have to wash all of our adult dishes, clean them, rinse them, put them away. And then not even in the sink, but we have to get this other bowl to fill it and clean the bottles in this other specific bowl, and I don't really understand why. And every once in a while, I ask, do we still have to do this? And she says, yes, we still have to do this. And so I don't get why, but how do you think, do do you think I wash the bottles with all of our adult dishes? I don't, even though I don't get why, because Christine matters to me, right? And so to her, it is important. And so to me, it is important. And I take time to do things, not how I want to, but how in a way that is honoring to her. If I'm willing to do that for someone I love and care about as a human, my wife, do you think we should be willing to do things differently for God, who loves us vastly more? Yeah, and the truth of the matter is, I've read the Bible numerous times through. There are things that I've read in there that honestly, I don't understand why God says something. I really don't. But I trust him and trust in his goodness that even if I don't get why he says something is wrong, that I should act as if he is right, right? And so I trust his way of saying things. I trust his way of doing things that although I don't understand why he says something is a sin, I avoid it because I know that he is good and he's proven himself to be good over and over and over. So the longer that you are a Christian, you can't sit around and claim to be ignorant over and over and over about what calls us to do. Out of love for God, we should take time to know him, know what he says, so we can approach him in an honor and respectful manner. Point number 2. God is smarter than you are. And this is one of the things that's like kind of obvious, but like we don't really like admitting that, right? We don't like admitting when people are better, smarter than us. But the truth of the matter is God is a lot smarter than you and God's a lot smarter than me. And that's okay, right? He's God. He's allowed to be smarter. And it's good that he's smarter because do you know everything? Do I know everything? It's good that there is a God who is more knowledgeable and experienced because that means there's someone that we can learn from. Right? We can go and listen and learn from God because he is smarter. If he wasn't smarter than you, then what's the point of even listening to him or following him, right? It's good that he is smarter than us. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse two. says, do not be quick with your mouth, do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything. And so there are times that we often as humans, we talk before we think. in uh, who's ever been in a situation where you really wanted to do something in life or a job or a career or date someone or whatever? And basically you tell God, hey God, I'm going to do this and it's good and it's right and you're going to bless it right? We often think that and do that. We basically try to tell God what we're going to do, and he should get on board with our ideas. And at the end of the day, that doesn't usually work. Now, sometimes it does, because we happen to get it right. But instead of telling God what we're going to do and asking for his blessing, we need to go to him first and say, God, how should I handle this situation? How should I live in this situation? What should I do? What should I not do in this particular situation? Um, Think about this. Have you ever been around like you know like a 3 4 year old like child and they're like adamantly trying to explain something to an adult like there was one time i had this 3 year old who was desperately trying to explain to me how to tie my shoe and they didn't know how to tie their She didn't know how to tie her shoe. But she's like adamant that how I tied my shoe was absolutely wrong. It's like that's not how you do it. You tie your shoe like this, and it's like, you can't even how are you gonna tell me how to tie my shoe? I've been doing this way longer than you've been alive, and you can't tie your shoe. But it's just one of these like funny moments where it's like clearly it doesn't make sense, but it's a kid and it's cute and it's funny and stuff like that. Uh, and that's how we often act with God. We tell him, no, 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 God, that's not how you do it. That's not how we're gonna handle this situation. I'm gonna do it this way, and this is the good and right way to do it. And it doesn't work like that because God is smarter than you. He knows more about the situations. He knows more about how things are going to be beneficial for you. He knows more about how things are going to be beneficial for those around you. And so when we listen to God because He is smarter, it ends up benefiting us and it ends up preventing other people from being hurt in the process. Because God wants, here's the thing God wants the best for you. God absolutely wants the best for you. The truth of the matter is he knows what's better for you than you know what's better for you. He knows what's better for me than I know what's better for myself. And so there are things that I might wanna do and I might think is a good idea, but if God says no, then I trust him, not because he's preventing me from having fun or enjoying something, but because I know that he is going to benefit me as a result of that situation. Right, because his plan is better than our plans because he can see the whole picture. He's in heaven. He can see the whole picture. He can see everything where we have a very limited perspective of what we can see. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But those whom God has called, both Jews and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolish and this is the verse we really want to focus on right here. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And so obviously Paul's being a little hyperbolic here. There's God's not foolish in any way. But even the quote unquote foolishness of God is smarter than the smartest thing you or I have ever thought. This is better than the wisest thing humans have ever come up with. Okay, so I'm gonna get nerdy here for a second, so bear with me as I do this. Um, not, uh, cause I wanna talk about how good and smart and wise God is and how he's just like totally beyond our ability to comprehend. So we all have DNA, right? You got DNA in you, DNA in me, it's like kinda decides who we are, what we are, all of our genetics, what genes we have and stuff like that. So you've got your DNA. God, created when he created the world and he created life, he gave us all DNA. As humans, we've grown vastly in our understanding of science and technology and stuff like that. Do you think we as humans can recreate and replicate DNA from nothing? No, we can't. Like with all of our technology, we cannot create DNA from nothing. Now, we can synthesize it, we can take like a broken strand of DNA, or copy it, we can do some stuff like that, science is getting really advanced. But from starting from nothing, humans can't come close to recreating DNA, which is the basic building block of life. The basic building block of life, we can't get close to recreating it. We're so far from recreating DNA, from scratch that we can't even recreate. So part of DNA, what makes up DNA, is this simple sugar called deoxyribose. And so it's like a very, very, very simple sugar. And so it's not nearly as complex as an amino acid, let alone DNA. And so it's like the basic, basic thing in DNA is this really simple sugar. Humans can't recreate that from scratch. Right? With all of our technology, we can't even create the basic part of a basic amino acid of a basic DNA cell. Right? And so we are so far behind in being able to recreate what God did with just a word. Right? And so it's cool, the advancements in science that we're making, but we are so far away from being able to have the knowledge and ability to do what God has already done. And another thing that I think is really interesting, I was listening to a podcast the other day. That's why I have that info. I don't just walk around talking about deoxyribose. Like, I just happened to listen to this podcast. And so in this podcast, there's this guy. So he is a leading scientist in um, the origin of life. And so scientists, I mean, I think we're all curious. How did the world actually begin? As Christians, we believe God created the world, he spoke it into existence. Uh, and so there are people who are scientists who are looking into it. There are Christian scientists who look into it who are just trying to figure out, okay, so actually how did God do it, like what mechanisms did he use, what processes did he use to create the world, and then there are atheists who are just trying to figure out how it all happened, and they have no idea, and so as Christians might try to understand it from how did God do it, uh, but regardless, lots of scientists are trying to figure out actually how did the world start, where did life actually come from, how did it happen, and so this leading uh, scientist, his name is Dr. James Tor, and he is a Christian, and he says the more and more that we learn about the origin of life, the more and more we learn about the complexity of life and cells and DNA and all of this stuff, because we're learning a huge amount. Every two years, we're basically doubling what we knew before. And so the speed of what we're learning is crazy. And so you would think that we're learning all of this information about life and where life came from, that we'd be really close to figuring out how God actually did it. But he says, as an expert in the field, that the more we learn, we're actually getting further and further away from understanding how the universe came to be. That actually the more we know, it's like we answer one question and we get 10 more questions in the process. And so like we're, the more we're learning as humans, our knowledge is increasing, we're only discovering how much more vast and superior God's knowledge and God's wisdom is. And so God is just, we can't even get the basics of how life began, and God was able to do that through his knowledge just through a word. And so God is smarter than us, and when it comes to science, intelligence, and God's also smarter than us morally. Right? The truth of the matter is God knows more about what is good and right than we do when it comes to morality. And so he is morally smarter than I. He has a better vision for how to create the world and how to create good guiding principles in this world. Like if we did things God's way, it would result in a vastly superior and better world. And there's so many different areas that this happens. Uh, take, for instance, we live in a world, unfortunately, where there's a ton of sexual abuse, Right? Not a good thing. It's a really bad thing that we live in a world where that's taking place. Now, if we all decided that we're going to read the Bible, study the Bible, and when it comes to sexuality, follow God's rules for that, do you think it would result in more or less sexual abuse? It would be zero, in fact. There would be zero sexual abuse if we all followed God's rules on how to live and act and treat each other when it comes to that. And so it's one of these things that God designed sex to take place between a husband and a wife And we try to say that we know better than God about that. He's smarter. There'd be no rape. There'd be no sexual abuse. There'd be no family members sexually abusing others. There'd be no surprise unwanted pregnancies as a result of that, and thus no abortions. There'd be this much better world would take place if we all follow God's basic rules. But we say we want to do things differently. We think we know better about what's going to make us happy and satisfied as humans and how to go about it. Um, But the unfortunate nature is, once again, the culture that wants to elevate and protect women as we should, more often the more sexual liberties we give to the world, it results in more abuse of women. And that's not a good thing. And so if we followed God's rules, it would be a very beneficial way of going about that for everyone. Um, So take another issue, just how we talk to each other, like morally how we speak to each other. Would you say in the past 10 years that the world has gotten better or worse about how we speak to each other. Probably worse, right? Drastically worse. Uh, I feel like we've been on a really bad streak about how we use our tongues and how we use our keyboards since, like, I don't know, 2014, 2015. We've been doing really bad. We're not exactly a kind, compassionate culture in society. Uh, and so we look at God's way of speaking and talking and his, the vision that he has for it. Yeah, God said we shouldn't cuss. Like, that's part of it. But God's vision is so much superior than that. It's not just saying, don't say these bad four letter words. Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-nine, which is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. It may benefit that it may benefit those who listen. So God isn't saying just don't cuss. He's saying use your words without saying anything unwholesome and use your words in a way that is going to build people up. And so God has a very high standard of how we should talk about each other and to each other. It is this high standard that he calls us to. And often we're just like, well, God just doesn't understand me, my sense of humor. He doesn't understand how I relate to my family. He doesn't understand how I relate to my friends. That we just joke with each other like that. But I would venture to go out on a limb. I don't think it would take me too long to come to the truth. Who's ever been joking with someone uh, and you were just bantering back and forth and you said something that you joke, they joke, and then suddenly, without meaning to, someone crossed the line and it went from funny to incredibly hurtful. Right? It happens real fast. And so when we talk about using our tongues and how we should talk, God is calling us to have no unwholesome talk that it may benefit others that they listen to us and when we encourage each other and stuff like that. The world would be a much better place if we use that framework for how we talk and interact with each other. And I'm not saying don't joke. I think God has a sense of humor. Like, where else would we get humor from? Right? And so I think God definitely has a sense of humor, but. We need to use humor in a way that is wholesome and that is building people up according to their needs. And so we could talk on and on and on about all these different moral issues and stuff like that. I'll just pick one more. Take money in the pursuit of money. Um, do you think we kind of have a broken system in our world? I, I would say so. I don't things work, think things work perfectly well and stuff like that. And so you look at the vision that God has for how to work and how to obtain money and stuff like that. You look, God values hard work. Right. I forget if it's first or second Thessalonians, but God says if you don't work, you don't eat. And so God values hard work very much. God also values He says, be open handed and generous and sharing with the poor. So those are both God's values. Everyone needs to work hard, everyone needs to be willing and generous to share with those in need. That sounds like a pretty good system to me. Right? I'd like to live in a system where everyone's working hard and everyone's sharing with people who have a need. But we live in a culture where we have the two extremes. We have people who don't want to work, who refuse to work, and want other people to provide for them. And then we have a world where people are incredibly greedy and unwilling to help people who are in need. Right? And so God has this picture of where everyone's working hard not everyone's going to have the same outcome when it comes to money and that's okay but people when they are in need they're working hard and people who have more than they need come alongside and generously share and support them in their time of need that's a really good vision and the truth of the matter read acts chapter 2 and acts chapter 4 they beat poverty. The early church, there was no poor people among them. They met all of their needs. Like It's possible. It's doable when people are willing to work hard, but also willing to share with those in need. And so there's this vision where that, that's possible when we do things God's way and we go about it God's way, because both are true, the need to work hard and the need to be generous. Those are both God's values. And we could list about his moral superiority. You, you could talk for 10 thousand years about it. Uh, But let's go on to point number three. Point number three, let your words be few and true. Let your words be few and true. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 3, a dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a who fool, right? Many words mark the speech of a fool. Have you ever been in a situation where someone started talking and they should have immediately stopped talking because the more they said, the more foolish they showed themselves to be? So I think about that time when I was probably 11, 12, somewhere around that general time frame. Uh, my friends and I in my neighborhood, we all used to skateboard. And so we weren't the greatest skaters ever, uh, but we knew what we were doing. Like we knew how to do various different tricks and stuff like that. So we could skate. Uh, Now, I was probably the worst of my friend group because I wasn't willing to do what you needed to do to be good because all of my friends broke a bone at some point in time and I just wasn't willing to do that. I wasn't willing to take chances to be good at skateboarding because that's a very painful thing. Um, but we knew what we were doing. So this new kid, he moved to the neighborhood. And he comes out. He sees us. We're all outside skating. And he's our general age. I think he's like a year or two older than us. But he came and starts talking to us. And, we're like, and he's like, oh, I love skateboarding and stuff like that. And we're like, oh, cool. Like, Go grab your board and we'll all skate together and stuff like that. And he said, well, I got a hurt ankle. I can't skate today. Can't really do that. Like, oh, okay, that's fine. Well, what tricks can you do? Because he like said he can skate. So well, what tricks can you do? And he starts listing all this. It's like, he, clearly he's only ever played Tony Hawk pro skater. And he had never skated by him on his own. Because he's like, oh, I can do like a 900. I can do like all these advanced grinds and slides and stuff like that. It's like, the more he kept talking, the more foolish he was. It's like, you literally have never been on a skateboard in your life if you think you can do that. Because that was the point in time when only Tony Hawk had ever done a 900. It's like, yeah, yeah, I did one the other day. It's like, no, you haven't. Like, you absolutely haven't. Stop talking. You're, you look like a fool and an idiot right now, so please stop talking. And so sometimes when it comes to us and God, we talk ourselves into a lot of trouble, right? We talk ourselves into a lot of trouble when it comes to God. We keep talking to him, to him, to him, to him, uh, instead of just listening to what he has to say, right? Because just as a reminder, how many mouths did God give us? How many ears did he give us? too. So we should probably do twice as much listening as talking, right? And eventually we became friends with a guy and he became part of the friend group. He also had to admit that he knew nothing about skateboarding, right? That was like basically he had to admit he was a liar and he made himself to be foolish. But we all became friends one day and it was okay. But sometimes we just need to talk less. And if we talk less, and I know it's always ironic when a preacher tells you to talk less, like, don't give me I understand the irony of what I'm saying right now, but it is beneficial to talk less because often we can show ourselves to be the fools. Like, people might wonder if you're foolishness, you're foolish or not, if you don't say anything, but if you say something enough, they're going to figure out that you are dumb. And so give them the benefit of that. Let them wonder if you're really smart at the end of the day, right? And so we need to make sure uh, we listen to God more than we talk to him. Because again, who's smarter, us or God? God. God is way smarter, and so it would be really beneficial for us if we take time to do some of that listening to hear from him so that he can teach us. Because we're not going to teach God. We need to let him teach us about what is right and good and smart. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. And we're guilty of this in small ways and big ways and stuff like that, but I mean I think for me personally, and I, this is why I hesitate to make like spiritual New Year's resolutions, because how many times have, at least for myself, I don't know about you, but I've said, okay, I'm not going to miss reading the Bible one day this year. I'm going to go the 365 days, 366 on leap year. I'm not going to go one day without without missing reading the Bible. And I typically make it like a week or two, right? And so by making that vow, it is a good thing to read the Bible every day. That is a good thing. That is a good commitment to make. But when we make this vow, and God, I promise that I'm not going to do that, we let them down by not reading the Bible, but we also make ourselves out to be a liar. And so it's basically this double whammy foolish thing that we have said by doing that. And so we don't need to be hasty in making all these different commitments and false promises. Uh, Because the same is true, like if you have a friend or a family member who makes all these false promises to you, does it get old after a while just to hear it? Yeah, it gets old to hear. And so I'm sure God probably gets a little fed up with our false promises that we make to him. Now, he's a lot more understanding and gracious and patient than we are. Uh, but we just, why add some hindrance between us and God? Just Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. The proof is in the pudding, just do it. If you're gonna do it, do it. If you're not gonna do it, don't do it. And don't make these silly vows that we often make of how we're going to do it. And so we want to make sure that our words are true and we wanna make sure we're not over talking, we're not talking more than God because he's worth listening to, right? You all know people in your life that are worth listening to and you know people in your life who aren't worth listening to, right? And, And that's true and that's okay. Like not everyone knows everything. God is always worth listening to. He always knows what is right. He always knows what is good. And so we can take time in prayer to listen to what he has to say. And we can take time to read the scriptures and listen to what he has to say. And the more we know about it, and we should want to know more about him so that we don't make ourselves look dumb in situations. Um, and again, if, you, if you're not a believer or not yet a believer or you're curious, don't think you have to have everything figured out. This is mainly for people who are already believers uh, when I talk about all of this. But if you're not a believer, it's always good to go to him because he's the one who's going to give you the knowledge that you need, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer. And so let's be quick to go to him, hear from him, listen to him, and become more like him because Jesus is a person worth being like. His love and compassion, his grace and mercy, his forgiveness. You should strive to be like Jesus. And so let's learn more about him, listen to him so that we can be more like him. So as we wrap up, I just want us to remember our place, right? God is God and we're humans. We're not God and that's okay and that's good. You can't do everything. I can't do everything. There's always going to be limits in what you can do and limits in what I can do, limits in what you can know, limits in what I can know. You can't read every book ever. It's physically impossible how long it would take. Like, I think even just, like, if you were to go visit all the museums in Washington, D.C., I was looking this up, it would take, like, 300 years or something just to read all of the exhibits at a museum, let alone all the books in the world. You can't know everything, and that's okay. God didn't make it so you have to know everything. He just makes it so we get to know him, and he'll tell us all the important things that we need to know about who we are, our identity, how we need to live, how we need to love, how we need to care for people, and what our calling in life is. God will give you everything you need to know if you go to him to listen and to learn, and the more you learn from him, the much easier it is, is it going to be to approach him, walk with him, and follow him. So let's pray together. Jesus, we do just say thank you for today, and again, we say thank you for being a God worth following. We say thank you for being a God who does know everything, and thank you for being God that wants to share that. God, especially as people who speak English, you have given us countless translations of the Bible. Uh, Bibles are sitting around everywhere. They're in this building. Most of us have plenty of them at our homes. You even stay at a hotel. The Bible is there. God, you want to communicate your knowledge and truth and love to us. You're not trying to hide it from us in any way, shape, or form. You've made it super accessible to us, and so i I just pray that we'll be a people who listen, that we'll be good listeners, that we'll be good people who desire to know more about you. God, I pray that you'll give us a curiousness, a curious heart, and a desire to hear from you. And so God, just place that in each one of us now, that as we go this week, that some situation in life will pop up, and that we will just wonder, what do you have to say about this? Have you already revealed something about this situation? And so I just pray for a curious heart and desire, and to listen to who you are, and what you're about, and how we can live that out. And so God, just as we go our different ways this week, I pray that we will walk in your love, walk in your spirit, and we can represent you well, because we know you well. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name.